Welcome to All Saints Community Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community of worship and formation on mission with Jesus. Our desire for you as you listen is to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit as we read the scriptures and to mobilize to actively bring God's kingdom to the earth. For more information on who we are, visit allsaintsokc.org or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at ACCOKC. We are in week two of our new series on the book of Acts. And we're seeing that the book of Acts is about many things, but especially about God's kingdom mission for the church. And today we're going to be looking at Acts 1, 6 through 11. We're going to be looking at the commission of the disciples and the ascension of Jesus. Before we do that, though, I just wanted to remind us, we looked at this last week, but our series title suggests these things, God's kingdom mission for the church. The central figure in the book of Acts is really not the apostles. It's not the disciples. It's not the church. The central figure is God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so we mentioned last week that a better title, a better understanding of this book of 28 chapters is the Acts of the Holy Spirit, or the ongoing acts of Jesus through his church. So we'll see at every turn in this book, it is a God-centered book. And so our interpretation of that, we're going to be constantly asking each week, what am I learning? What am I seeing about God, the Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? A second thing, if you look up here on the slide, is the kingdom of God. It's another key theme in this book, It's not the church, but it's the kingdom because the kingdom creates the church. And without the kingdom, there is no church. And so the kingdom is the driving force and the underlying theme of the whole book. We saw last week, it begins in chapter 1 with Jesus talking about the kingdom with his disciples, with the apostles, and then it ends in chapter 28, like two bookends in this book talking about the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God through the person of Jesus, who is the messianic king. A third theme that we'll see, even again today, it's primary, is the mission of God. It's really not the church's mission. It's God's mission. The church receives this from God, the plan, God's plan to rescue human beings and to restore them and to restore all of creation through the Lord Jesus. And then finally, the church, the agent through which God works. We're going to see this today. So God, the kingdom, the mission, and the church, key themes. So why don't you turn in your Bible to Acts 1, 6 through 11. And again, today we're going to look at two things. We're going to look at the commission of Jesus' followers in verses 6 through 8. And then we're going to look at the ascension of Jesus in verses 9 through 11. Why don't we stand? We do this periodically just out of respect for the Word of God, the inspired church history that we have here. Father, we just ask, even at the reading of your Word, that 
it would sink deeply into our ears and our hearts. And we ask, Holy Spirit, for your wisdom and your revelation to open our minds to understand the scriptures. And we ask that our hearts would burn like those early disciples. You would ignite fire in us as we read and look into your word. We pray that in the name of Jesus. So Acts 1, 6 through 11. So when they had come together, they asked him, Jesus, Lord, is, it this, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of God. All right, you can take a seat as we look into this. So verses 6 through 8. Before that, just to remind us a little bit, the last few verses that we looked at, 1 to 5, we saw in the previous verses that Jesus had appeared to his disciples and he had given them convincing proofs that he was alive. You remember some of those things. Connie talked about it. I mentioned them. In Luke 24, Jesus spent time with his followers and he ate fish with them and he startled them. And they thought maybe he was a ghost. And he said, I assure you, I'm not a ghost. I am the resurrected Jesus. And he allowed them to see his pierced hands and to interact with him. We also read in those previous five verses that Jesus was speaking with them about two themes, the kingdom of God and the spirit of God. And that's going to come up again in these verses. So at verse 6 there, You can see that they're gathering around Jesus, they're coming together, they're encircling him, and they say, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? They asked this because they were Jewish. They were faithful Jews who believed in the promises of the Old Testament prophets. So it wasn't a random question. It was something that they had been pondering. And when a dead person appears to you, questions like this become primary. They were disillusioned before. They thought this was the Messiah. This was the promised one that Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel had promised. And yet he was killed by Rome. But now their hope is alive again. And so they're interacting with Jesus over this time, over these 40 days, and they say, Lord, resurrected Lord, are you the one? Is this the time that you're going to reestablish the kingdom? But we're going to see that they misunderstood, didn't they? The text here explains that they were misunderstanding the nature of the kingdom of God. 
and the relationship between the kingdom and the spirit of God. One person says about this passage here, John Stott says this, the kingdom of God is not a territorial concept. It does not and cannot figure on any map. And this is what the apostles were thinking. They were thinking, Jesus, is this the time for you to come in all your power, all your glory, and reestablish the kingdom of David, to bring it all together, to vanquish Rome? And Jesus says, friends, you've got to revise your thinking here. My kingdom is not of this world. He said that back in the Gospel of John, chapter 19 and 20. One person says this about this passage. The kingdom of God is God's rule set up in the lives of people by the Holy Spirit. It is spread by witnesses, not by soldiers. Through a gospel of peace, not by a declaration of war and by works of the Holy Spirit, not by force of arms, political intrigue, or revolutionary violence. So friends, he is addressing this. It's a valid question. It's a good question. We may have asked the same question in that moment, but he's saying, I want to adjust your thinking on what the kingdom is. No better source, no better person to do that than the king himself. Then he goes on, look at verse 7. You see it here, and this is what we do each Sunday. I want you to have your your own Bible open there. I encourage you to bring your study Bible, make notes, dig in. We're giving ourselves to the Scriptures in fresh ways in this season. Look at verse 7. Jesus responds. He says, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set. funny they may have even been thinking here because we read back in Luke you remember it's the first part of this Luke Acts and back in chapter 22 30 verse 30 they're having a conversation with Jesus he's talking about the kingdom and they're interested in who's going to be sitting on the thrones and so it may be that they're asking this question because not only do they lack a little bit of clarity on it, but they're wondering, is this the time for us to sit on those 12 thrones? And Jesus tells them, it's not for you to know the exact moment that the kingdom will be fully consummated. And the scriptures make this clear. You can write this down. I'm going to read it. You can look at it later. But Deuteronomy 29, 29, and the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, It says this, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the revealed things belong to us and to our children forever. So this is one of those moments like Deuteronomy 29 is talking about. This is a secret thing. Jesus says in Mark 13 and Matthew 24 that no one knows the exact moment when the kingdom will be fully consummated. Not even the Son, the Father alone. So he's telling them here about that day or hour, no one knows. Neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. So friends, for some reason in the history of the church, we like to forget these verses here. And you hear people try to set dates, try to declare with great authority, this is the exact time. And we can always know that's not right. 
because of passages like this. Now, the Gospels teach us, so the Apostle Paul and Peter, they teach us that we, we will be clued in. The generation where that happens will know, and they won't be completely caught off guard. For the rest of the world is like a thief in the night. But there is the ability to look and to read the signs of the times. But Jesus is saying, anyone who sets a specific date is dead wrong. Only the Father knows. What the verse goes on to say, though, the text says in, at verse 8, you won't know the exact times determined by the Father, but you will receive power from the Holy Spirit. They would know, and we know as well, that we receive power from God. We're clothed with the power of the Holy Spirit to be the witnesses of Jesus. Not to know necessarily the exact details of the prophetic time clock, but to be his active witnesses to say that Jesus is alive. Jesus is king. We are his followers. And we'll go on to see in the next chapter that the promised Holy Spirit is about to come upon them. And so Jesus is preparing them for that moment, isn't he? And we're going to see that their response multiple times is to devote themselves to prayer. So Jesus says, you're not going to know exactly when and how, but you will be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now wait. Give yourself to prayer. Press in to the presence of the Father. And we're going to see in just a few weeks in chapter 2 that a mighty wave of the Holy Spirit breaks over them and changes the course of their lives and changes the course of history. Look at verse 8. They won't know the exact times or periods, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. And then look at these various places that are listed here in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I've got a map up there for those of you that are interested to see, and we'll be revisiting this over and over again because a big part of the story, the story of Acts, is people on missionary journeys. There's three of them, and then there's one to Rome, and, and what happens is exactly what verse 8 here is talking about. This actually gives an outline of the whole book of Acts, the gospel and these spirit-empowered witnesses would begin in Jerusalem, their home city, and then they would move out into Judea, which is the equivalent of their state, and then they would move out further into Samaria, like their country, and then the ends of the earth, the entire Roman Empire, Asia Minor. And again, we'll be revisiting this but you can see how it all starts, that epicenter down in the lower right, Jerusalem, their home turf. Just a couple handfuls of people filled with the Spirit and sent out all over the known world at that time. What I want us to do here, so that this moves from the page into our own lives, friends, this is the pattern that God gives the church for all time. The Lord wants us to reach out in our neighborhood, our home city, 
our state, our country, and to the ends of the earth. We got to hear that this morning as far as Guam. And friends, we're just getting started. In the coming days, the Lord is going to do things among us that we can't even conceive of right now. Why? Because he's amazing. Why? Because of passages like this. If you're connected to him, if you're connected to the Lord Jesus, the Lord of all the earth, the Lord of all the nations, then you better buckle up because he's going to take you on trips and lead you and do his work for you. Are, you. are you in for that? I certainly am, even at 51. I don't feel 21 anymore, but Amanda and I, we are all in. Jake, you're all in. So what I want us to do here, I want us to linger with this for a moment. And I just want to share a few things that I've been a part of with amazing people around me. And when I went to seminary in Chicago in the 1990s, I was with groups of people at that Evanston Vineyard Church. You've gotten to know Steve Nicholson, who was pastor of that church. We were maniacs. I mean, we were absolutely obsessed with the book of Acts and with trying to live it at least a little bit. And so I just wanted to share a few things that we used to do back in our neighborhoods. And you got to keep in mind, it was pre-COVID. It was pre-tension that we have now. And there was open doors all through Chicago. And so we would literally sit around. We would go and get a falafel and falafel sandwich and sit there and brainstorm on what can we do in our neighborhood. Yes, we want to go to the nations and we want to plant churches and all that, but God help us do it in our own neighborhood. And so people started coming up with ideas. One of them was we would hand out light bulbs. We were in pockets of town in Evanston where people were poor. And they had apartments full of lights with no bulbs. And so someone had the idea, and we said, what the heck? Let's go to Sam's and buy a ton of light bulbs. And friends, we ended up in more apartments, sitting in rooms with people, talking with them because we brought them light bulbs. And I mean, we just did it, and then we went back to Sam's. And we'd do it every Saturday. And we would just go and offer. We would say, hey, we're from a local church here, and we're out trying to show the love of God in a really practical way. And so we got free light bulbs. If you want them, if not, no big deal. And more than half the time, people would open the door and we would be in. And oftentimes, it would be people that couldn't put the new light bulb in. Might be an elderly person. And so we would get up on a chair and help them do it. And then we would have conversation and then we would pray for them and get to share the gospel oftentimes. So I'm not saying go out and buy light bulbs, but what might you do? What creative way could you reach out to someone and serve them and end up praying for them? I don't know. we got to get real creative these days, don't we? I know with all of the various tensions and with COVID and sickness, but I was reflecting this week. I was saying, Lord, we, we just had like freedom to do that even in Chicago. There was no racial tension. We just lived together and people from India and Africa and America, we just, 
we're together. It was awesome. And can the church ever recover? I was having one of those moments. Can the church ever do this again? And it was like I heard, I brought the church through the bubonic plague. The plague didn't stop the church. And they came through and they expanded. And the church has been growing all over the planet. A plague can't stop the church, friends. No sickness, no fear, no division can stop God's people because we are filled with the Holy Spirit who gives us creative ideas and love and compassion. And then we find ourselves connecting with people in really creative ways. When the light bulb thing kind of phased out, we bought nine volt batteries. Someone had the idea, smoke detectors, and so we went back to those same neighborhoods all around and we offered to change nine volt batteries and people's smoke detectors and once again, apartment doors were open, we prayed. So I just wanna encourage you, what can you do? And I know everyone is so busy I'm not laying anything on you. I'm inviting you into the mission of Jesus in a very, very practical way. And I know that many of you are already doing this. And so what I would say is share with us. What are you learning? We've been hearing from our outreach group, David and Stephanie and their team. We've heard from Kay Davis in the past going and praying for people on the streets going into stores and praying for people. And I just want to say, it's time to do that again. And we can be very respectful to people. But there are a lot of people out there that are gripped with fear and anxiety and brokenness, and they need Jesus like never before. Would you agree? So if the Lord can lead his church through the bubonic plague, and they can come on the other side and continue to do evangelism, and missions, and pray for people, and do all of that, then we've got to have full confidence that he's going to do it again. He's going to show us. So what I want to do, I just want to take like a minute here. It's kind of a different morning, but that's okay. I've been asking the Lord, what do you want us to do? And I just, I I want to invite us. I want you to close your eyes, if you're okay with that, and to just ask the Lord specifically, Lord, how can I reach people around me? Who can I do it with? And let's just take a minute. Spirit of God, speak to us. Give us ideas, images, verses. We wait on you. Thank you that you speak to us, Jesus. I would encourage you, whatever he was whispering, write it down. Maybe put it in your phone and then try it. Let me just ask, how how many of you sent something? Maybe you saw someone, raise your hand, wave at me. A lot of you think the Lord is just waiting for us to say, Lord, what are you doing? One of our key verses is John 5.19 around here. It's a vineyard value. What Jesus did was he followed what the Father was doing. And the Father's busy out there. He's always reaching out to people. And friends, it can be as easy as making some cookies and taking them to a neighbor. If you can't cook very well, you burn those cookies every time, go buy some cookies. I just think that the Lord is about to ignite something among us. And thankfully, we have some things burning, but I think the Lord wants to multiply it. 
and he is going to turn us inside out. This is the most amazing community and group of people, and the Lord wants to send us out missionally in new ways. And we're going to have stories. You're going to have stories of like the fixer-upper group and other groups. You're going to end up in people's yards, people's homes, praying for them, and God's going to work and move. We just have to partner with him. Amen? And you hear my heart on that? I'm not laying anything on you or trying to make your schedule busier or more crammed. I'm talking to myself, too. So Amanda and I have been talking about this. And frankly, a few times I've had ideas I think the Lord gave me and I didn't follow through. So I'm going to be freshly committed on this. So we see here that Jesus commissions his disciples. He commissions you and me. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're part of his church. You are clothed with power. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. So maybe even this week, an arrow prayer that you could pray is, I receive power to be your witness. Actually, let's say that together. I receive power to be your witness. So you can pray that through the week and then share practically the love of God with people. Look at verse 9 through 11 quickly here as we end. Not only is there the commission, the sending, the empowering, the authorizing of the disciples, the apostles of Jesus, but verses 9 through 11 talk about the ascension of Jesus. So after Jesus is clarifying they're thinking about the kingdom of God and commissioning them to go and be his spirit-empowered witnesses. He was taken up into heaven right before their eyes. If you remember, a few weeks back, we were looking at Luke 24, especially at verse 27, and we were seeing that the Old Testament scriptures spoke about Jesus. They spoke about the Messiah, and he helped explain some things about him. This is one of those moments. In 2 Kings 2, Elijah, if you remember, the prophet Elijah is taken up into heaven in a fiery chariot while Elisha watches. And the prophet Elijah's mantle falls, his prophetic and miraculous ministry, and it ends up in Elisha's hands and on him, enabling him to function like Elijah. This story foreshadows what is happening right here, and Luke knows it. Luke is using some of the very same language, some of the same imagery here to say that someone greater than Elijah is here. And he is ascending in a parallel fashion. He's taken up into heaven in a cloud, symbolizing the chariot of God, the very presence and glory of God, and his disciples watch. But instead of a mantle that falls to one person, Elisha, this is a mantle that encompasses the whole group. The whole lot of them are going to take up his mantle, the presence of the Holy Spirit, and eventually the entire church is going to be clothed in the mantle of the greater Elijah, Jesus. Friends, this is our story. You read this, I read this, we are part of this unbelievable story that goes all the way back to Elijah and Elisha and Jesus and the apostles and the early church. 
and to the worldwide church of the last 2,000 years. We're part of this, the apostolic, prophetic people of God because of the crucified and risen Jesus. This is our story. And it goes way beyond us, way beyond the American church, way beyond the Protestant church, the worldwide church of Jesus, clothed in his mantle of power. So at verse 10, they're gawking, they're looking into heaven, two figures and white robes appear. We know that they're angels because this happened earlier in the Gospels. John 20 verse 12 talks about angels that appear in the form of men. And there's two of them. So in Old Testament fashion, that underscores that their witness is trustworthy and true. And their question to the apostles, the disciples there, contains a correction, doesn't it? Look at it. You don't want to just stand there gazing in the sky, waiting for Jesus, but you do want to throw yourself into the mission that he's preparing to send you on. Friends, this is amazing. And this is one of those things that's often overlooked in our presentation of the gospel. We recite it in the creed, which we're going to do again next week as we have the Lord's Supper together. And it's one of the reasons we declare it. It's part of our faith, the ascension of Jesus, where Christ sits at the Father's right hand, ruling in a very mysterious way. And from there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. And I know as I read a passage like this that the modern and postmodern mind might say the idea that a man was raised from the dead and actually floats up into heaven is unreasonable. It's impossible and it's unrepeatable. Intellectuals say it is without analogy. There is not an analogous situation in our experience, therefore it cannot be true. And friends, I've puzzled over this. I've wrestled with this. Whether it's the resurrection of Jesus or the ascension of Jesus, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but you probably have not seen someone go into heaven. Right? Therefore it's not true, argues the modern or postmodern person. But this week, something dawned on me. That's the whole point. That's the whole point. We don't see people raised from the dead all the time. And we don't, I'd like to more, but you know what I'm saying. In human history, it's not populated with people who are raised and ascend into heaven. And that's exactly the point of the gospel of the kingdom. There's only one person. It's not Buddha. It's not Muhammad. It's Jesus. And so if, think about this for a moment, and some of you grapple with doubt and skepticism and rationalism, I get it. I do too all the time. But if we marinate our minds in the scriptures, things happen. And the Lord, by hearing the word of God, new faith grows in us. And I realized this week, there's only one person that has been raised from the dead in the fashion that he was and that appeared and started a worldwide movement unlike anything in human history. Friends, time revolves around 
Jesus Christ. Whether people like it or not, all over the planet, he is the axis of history. And so wouldn't you expect that he would enter human history in a remarkable way through a virgin? And that he would leave the earth in a very remarkable, outstanding way. He's ascended and is at the right hand of the Father. Amen? So we are people confident, filled with faith that, yes, he was raised from the dead because there's nobody like him. History revolves around him. He started a movement unlike any other movement that's worldwide. Every continent, every people group, and we're part of it. So friends, why don't we stand? The worship team wants to make their way up here. We are people of the resurrection. Like the early church, we are people of the ascension of Jesus. We are people of the return of Jesus. And next week, we're going to look at the rest of chapter 1, verses 12 through 16, and see their response to this interaction with Jesus, their devotion to prayer in the upper room, setting the stage for Acts 2, Pentecost, and their replacement of Judas, who fell away from Christ. Also, if the ministry team would come up, if you're scheduled to pray today, why don't you make your way up here. And Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the book of Acts. We thank you, Jesus, that we get to be part of your mission. And it's in our neighborhood, and it's all over the world. And we say that the nations belong to you, Jesus. And the Father will give them as an inheritance to you. And so we anticipate what you're going to be doing in the coming days. And we say we're all in. Jesus, we give ourselves to you, our time, our money, our energy, everything we've got. We're all in.